We'll continue a little bit of that tonight. Uh, the Bible says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Last time we spent some time talking about the usage of what he says here, Jesus of Nazareth. We came to understand that it's important because Nazareth was a place that was prophesied. We noted those kind of things, but the word Nazareth itself was never used in the Old Testament. But of course we understand that uh, from Isaiah and other places that a, a place like Nazareth would be uh, the, the, the place from where the Savior would himself come. Uh, but tonight, let's go on. He says that Jesus, this man of Nazareth, was attested to you by God. And that's where we want to, that's where we want to spend a little bit of time tonight. He's attested to you by God. If you're reading from other translations, you may uh, see that a different word is used. It may be approved or something of that nature. But the word literally means the one that's translated attested here. It means to cause something to be known as genuine or to show publicly or to demonstrate publicly that a thing or a person is genuine. And so that's what, G what God was doing with Jesus. He was, through the signs and the wonders and the miracles, the mighty works, as it said here, He is proving Jesus to be <clears throat> one who is, who is indeed the genuine Son of God. Uh, the word is used in Acts chapter 25 at verse number 7. The Bible said when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, talking about Paul here in this place, bringing many serious charges against him that they could not prove. But God could prove that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. You know, if you're, if you're in a... Uh, a, a, a trial, and that's what was happening here in Acts chapter 25 with Paul. The Jews came and, and testified against him, but they had no proof. You know, you want to have proof in a trial. Well, we want to have proof in relationship to Jesus. We want to, we want to make sure that he was exactly who he said he was. And of course, we, having been members of the Lord's Church for a number of years and studied in Bible classes, sometimes take these things for granted. And we've read, we've studied, and we've heard, and we've learned. But these people were hearing and seeing a lot of these things for the first time. And so God uh, approved him and, and showed him. And now we have that testimony left to us that we can understand that he is indeed who he said he is. Now, how was it that he attested Jesus, or how was it that he proved him to be true and genuine? Well, he says there are three things here in this passage. What are they? Number one, mighty works. Number two, wonders. And number three, signs, okay? Mighty works, wonders, and signs. What's the difference in those three things? Well, in reality, they're synonyms, if you will. Uh, they're synonymous with one another. And, and so, uh, as you look at them, uh, you, you'll, you'll come to understand that these three different uh, ways are used to describe what God was doing through Jesus by, uh, by these things, by understanding the way that each one uh, is meant to be understood. 
Well, let's make that, let, let's go and let's just look at it. What does he mean by the mighty works? Were the mighty works, were they miraculous in nature? Was bringing uh, somebody like Lazarus out of the grave, was that miraculous in nature? Was walking on water miraculous in nature? Yes. Was uh, healing the sick, the blind, the deaf, and all of those, was that miraculous in nature, the way that God did it? Yes. All of those things were miraculous, but they were also mighty works, were they not? But when we think about them being mighty works, we understand it that they're mighty in the sense that it is the demonstration of God's power. We, we see that they're mighty because it is a demonstration of His power. All right? Secondly, He talks about the wonders. Okay? What's the difference in a mighty work and a wonder? Well, if you saw Jesus raise uh, Lazarus from the dead, if you had been privileged to be there, what would have been your reaction? Or if you had seen Jesus walk on the water, or if you had been present when He said to the storm, Peace, be still... What would have been your reaction? You would probably have been in amazement. You would have been in wonder. And so, number one, the mighty works, we've got that from the perspective of God demonstrating His power. But when we're talking about the wonders, uh, we're, we're, we're talking about it being from more from our perspective and what we perceive the mighty works to be. Talking about the same thing, remember I'm saying that they're synonymous, they're talking about the same thing. It's not different classifications of the miraculous or anything like that, but it's just Paul, or rather uh, uh, Peter's way and the Lord's way of expressing the fact that he was proving or attesting Jesus uh, to be who he said he was. Now, Signs, the, the third one, signs. Well, that was the design of the deed itself. That was what it was for. It was to be as a sign to prove the supernatural nature of Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, they're not saying different things. Now let's go back to that wonders for just a minute. It's interesting that every time the word translated wonders appears in the New Testaments, it's always accompanied by the word Signs. Every time that word wonders is used, the one that's translated wonders here, every time in the New Testament that it is used, it's used in regard to the miraculous, every time it's used, it also has the word signs attached to it. And so it wasn't that Jesus was doing things to entertain people. It wasn't that he was uh, uh, doing those things so that so that people would, you know, just praise Him. It was a sign of what we're saying here. He is being, a, being approved or attested by God. And the same was true with the apostles when they were uh, granted the power by God to be able to do the miraculous. Uh, the same uh, words, uh, the signs and the wonders are used in regard to them and their work on occasion. And so the same was true for them. And if you go back to the book of Mark, chapter 16, begin reading about verse 17, go through the end of the chapter, there it is that Mark writes about some of these same things, and he tells us the reason for them that they were to be, uh, they were to accompany the apostles as, as proof that 
they truly were from God, that they truly were the ones who were there. But that's what God says here, the Holy Spirit through Peter. That's what he says about how God was proving Jesus to be who he said that he was. Now notice something else here in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs. Now watch this next phrase. That God did through him. Is that important? That God did through him. Okay. Now was Jesus deity? Was he God? Yes. Was Jesus a man? Yes, he's the God-man. But God allowed this man, Jesus, the, the divine portion of God that inhabited this human body, he allowed himself, his power, to be demonstrated through the man, Jesus Christ. Okay? And so uh, it was through him. But I want you to notice something tonight. Look at Matthew chapter 12 at verse 28. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. Somebody read that out loud as soon as you get there. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay. Well, that's Jesus talking there. I know I just gave you one verse. But he says, but if I cast out Demons how? By the Spirit of God. God. Who's operating here? Even through Jesus. The Spirit. Now who's operating in Acts chapter 2? Same Spirit. Spirit. Okay. And so, so we've got that. God worked the miraculous through Jesus through the Spirit, according to what we see here in Matthew chapter 12 at verse 28. Okay, still in verse 22, though, we we still got a little bit more there to to look at. He did it through him, but he did it where? Right there where they could see see it. In your midst is what he says on uh, on the, the way it's translated here. He did it right in front of them, things that they could see and that they could know. Now, before I talk about that any, any further, uh, Think about modern-day miracle workers, okay? Now, we need to understand that the miraculous has ceased according to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so we're simply using that that terminology, modern-day miracle workers, in an accommodative way. But when they supposedly perform their miracles, what's the difference in the kind of miraculous things that they claim that they do, and what Jesus did. Have you ever seen on one of these television shows that is supposed to have one of the miracle healers on there, and there are several, have you ever seen them out at a graveyard? Have you ever seen one of them with a person who maybe has been in a war, perhaps has been over in Iraq and And maybe one of these uh, roadside bombs has gone off and they've lost both legs. Have you ever seen him put legs back on? What kind of miracles do they like to perform? Oh, somebody's got a stomachache. I'm going to fix his stomachache. Or somebody's got a headache. 
wholly different, totally different than what Jesus did. You see, what Jesus did was done in their midst. They could not deny them. They saw it with their own eyes, and thus they had a basis for faith. Now, having said that, let's go back and look at a couple of passages of Scripture. Look at John chapter 11 at verse 47. John eleven forty seven. These are the opponents of Jesus who are making this statement here. But even they, in what they say here, understand that Jesus is doing these things in plain sight, in the midst of the people. Okay, somebody got it? So the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? Well, this man performs many signs. This man performs... Wait a minute. They didn't deny that he was performing signs, did they? They wanted to know what they were doing because he was performing the signs. And so, just a little bit of evidence that he was doing it in their midst. He was doing that in front of them. Go to the book of Luke, chapter 19, at verse 37. Luke, chapter 19, verse 37. For all the mighty works that they had seen. Not that they had heard about, that they had seen. Okay? And so again, we have Scripture in the Bible. All right, look at John chapter 12, verses 17 and 18 in relation to this. Now remember, as you're, as you're turning over there, that, that John chapter 12, verses 17 and 18 is in the same context as the book of Luke chapter 19, verse 37. This is Jesus coming back into the city of Jerusalem on the, on the Sunday before he uh, is crucified the next Friday. Okay? So what happens here in John chapter 12, verses 17 and 18? Therefore, the people who were with him, when he caught Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, Okay, they heard in this case that they had done the sign, but who was telling them about the sign? The witnesses. the witnesses that had seen it with their own eyes. They had gone into Jerusalem. They were talking. What sign was it? He had raised Lazarus from the dead. They gone in and they were telling people, and now these people who had seen it are telling the people who had not seen it. And they want to go out and they want to see Jesus, okay? But all of this is because of the signs that were done where? In their midst. In your midst, as he said. And then look at the last part of verse number 22. As you yourselves know. As you yourselves know. Interesting word. Know, that's plain old English word. You know, when we look at it in the English... But it's an interesting word. It means to fully know based on observation. To fully know based on observation. Okay? 
they could know about the miracles and the, or the mighty works, the wonders and the signs because they had been done in their midst and they could know by observation that this Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't have to rely on, on, on other things. They could know based on their own observation that there's something special about him. Now, let's see the usage of this word. Look at Matthew 20, verse 22. Matthew 20, verse 22. We have a mother of two of Jesus' apostles, the sons of Zebedee. Okay, she wants them to be, you know, special in the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus responds to her by saying, what? You do not know. You don't know by observation what you're asking. You're asking for what? You're asking for a hard, rough road ahead for them. Are they willing, are they able to withstand what Jesus himself was willing and able to withstand? And so you don't know by observation. Look at Matthew 20 verse 25. Matthew 20 verse 25. Okay, you know. Know what? They know about the leaders of the Gentiles and how, how they act, but how did they know? They knew because they could observe how the leaders of the Gentiles acted. Now, how did, who were the leaders of the Gentiles? That especially Jesus would have been talking about here. And, and how would they have known? The Romans who were in charge were the Gentiles, and they were in charge even in Jerusalem and surrounding areas, were they not? And if a Roman soldier told you to pick up a burden and carry it, what were you supposed to do? They exercise, you know, a lot of authority over you. Have you ever known of anybody in authority to abuse the authority that they have? Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know, that's what, that's what the something like that's the old saying, isn't it? People will abuse it, and that's, that's sort of what he said. But you know, that, you know that firsthand. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying about himself, or rather Peter is saying about Jesus here in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, that they could know by experience. They had seen. These folks had lived at the same time Jesus lived. These people, many of them, heard Jesus speak and saw what he did. And so they could know by experience the things of Jesus. Okay? Uh, and one more, and I won't take time to go over there uh, and read it, but it's found in Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 56, and he's talking about... Uh, he, he, he talks about them seeing a cloud in the west. And they say, when they see a cloud in the west, you say a shower's coming. And so it happens. And now you see the south wind blowing. And you say, well, it's going to be a scorching heat. And it happens. He said, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. 
You know. How did they know? Well, if you saw the sky, the cloud coming in the west, what, what do you expect? Rain. If the south wind's blowing, you've got heat coming. They knew that by experience. They didn't have a James Spann, you know, that had a satellite and could get on his, uh, uh, put on his, uh, his suspenders and get on his Apple computer and tweet it all out. They knew because they saw it. You know, and then, still interesting there in Luke chapter 12, verse 56, but you do not know, same word, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. That is, that Jesus was there among them. These Jewish leaders that he's talking to in Luke 12 there, they had refused. It wasn't that it wasn't possible, but they refused to accept by their own experience what was happening. Okay? All right, so he says uh, that Jesus was approved or attested to by God through mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst. And you have no excuse because you know by observation. Look at verse 23. This Jesus, okay, same, same Jesus that he had uh, just introduced to them in uh, verse 22. This Jesus, some translations say this one, some say this man. Uh, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Same Jesus that he was talking about in the previous verse, but he says uh, he was delivered up. Simply means... And by the way, this word is only used one time in the New Testament. It's translated delivered up here. It means to be pertaining to handing over someone, to be handed over, to be betrayed. And it carries with it the idea of being given over to an enemy or to the power or will of someone else. In other words... It's not that you just handed him over, but you handed him over to the point that he submitted to whatever it was that they were going to dish out against him. He was delivered up. Now Jesus humbled himself, how lowly? Even to the point of submitting to what? They wanted to dish out for him, according to the book of Hebrews. And so again, one time this word is used, and it's used here in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 23, Jesus was delivered up, delivered over to them, so that they could do with him what they pleased. That's basically what Peter is saying. God, God relinquished his control, if you will, over ceasing what was happening, um, do you remember what Jesus said when, uh, when, Pilate was, when Pilate asked him, he said, don't you know that I have power to crucify you or power to let you go? What did Jesus say? You wouldn't have any power unless God gave it to you. How did God give it to him? He allowed Jesus to be delivered up, delivered over to their will. 
He didn't step in. What did Jesus say to Peter and, and to the others? Don't you know, you know, when Peter pulled out the sword, don't you know that I could presently call down more than 12 legions of angels? He didn't, he didn't lift his divine hand to stop it. He was delivered over and allowed them to do with him. But now, who came up with the idea of what was going to happen to Jesus? That's, that's, a, that's the next question. Okay? And that's also addressed in this verse. Who came up with that idea as to what was going to happen? All right? This Jesus delivered up according to what? Two things here, but what's the first one? According to the definite plan. According to the definite plan of who? Plan of who? According to the definite, you take that other, that conjunction out, the foreknowledge part, and you, and you slide it back to where, you know, it's the definite plan of God. He was delivered up by the definite plan of God. Other translations put it in, this, uh, in, in these terms. He was delivered by the determinate counsel, both the King James and the American Standard. The New King James says the determined purpose. And the New American Standard says delivered over by the predetermined plan. And so when we look at it and we think about that word definite, the, the, the dictionaries, the Greek dictionaries, say this about it. To mark out the boundaries or limits of any place or thing. Something that is settled. A second one says, to set bounds to, to set bound, or, or to bound, to restrict, to settle, to appoint definitely. And yet a third one says, to come to a definite decision or a firm resolve. God knew all the time, even from... Well, I'll make a different point in just a minute. Even from the time when Adam and Eve sinned, back in the Garden of Eden, what was going to happen? God knew exactly what was going to happen. It was a definite, but it was also a plan. The word there means to purpose, to plan, to intend that which has been purposed and planned. Okay? Words used in Acts 27, verse 42, the soldiers' plan was to kill the, the, the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away. But here's what's interesting to me, and, and I want you to think about this one, concentrate on it. See, the Bible teaches us here that God had a definite plan in regard to Jesus. When you go to the book of Acts chapter 20 at verse 27, somebody read that before us, Acts 20, verse 27. Paul talking to the Ephesian elders and folks from Ephesus said what? For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. The whole what of God? The whole counsel. Guess what? Same word. Same word that's translated plan here in verse 24, of, uh, or rather verse uh, uh, 23 of Acts chapter 2, used same book, Acts chapter 27, just translated counsel there. Paul said what to the, to the Ephesian brethren? 
I haven't shunned to declare you that declare to you the entire plan of God. What plan? God's plan for redeeming, saving man. God had a plan. We read about it here in verse, uh, chapter 2. We read about it again in chapter uh, 20. God had a plan. And, and Paul says, I'm telling you all of that plan. I'm not keeping anything back in regard to the plan, the counsel of God. Okay? This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and what else? Foreknowledge of God. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now, I'm going to say the Greek word out loud. The definite plan and prognosis of God. Now, does that, uh, does that ring anything in your ears? That's, uh, that's the word. The definite plan and prognosis of God. What is a prognosis? How would we commonly, or where would we commonly use the word prognosis today? Yeah, when you go to the doctor, someone has some kind of disease, and you ask, what is the prognosis? What are you wanting to know? The source, or the, the course of the outcome of the disease? You're wanting to know the chances of recovery? You know, those kind of things. But prognosis, according to the dictionary, is often used as a general term for predicting the unfolding of events. What's a doctor doing when you ask him for a prognosis? He's making a prediction. God already knew. And, and in, in God's case, there was no doubt as to the prognosis of what was going to happen to our Lord. He had that foreknowledge, as, uh, as he says, the word meaning uh, to know about something prior to some temporal reference point, to know about an event before it happens. And so God knew that. That's why it's translated foreknowledge rather than prognosis in our English translation. Now, when did God know? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. 1 Peter 1.20. Talking about Christ here. I'll just go ahead and set that up for you. The, the He. Somebody got it? The prognosis came when? What does it mean by that? Before the creation. Before God ever created man, God in His own will and foreknowledge had already decided that Jesus would one day be handed over because His creation would need salvation. Somewhere back in eternity, God had done just that. And so... As you read through, beginning in Genesis and going through the, the life of Christ, what are you reading? 
you're reading the plan of God that Paul talks about unfolding before your eyes. We talk about it in these terms. You know, what was the purpose of the the nation of Israel? Their purpose was to bring the Messiah into the world. It was through them that Jesus would come into the world. And so no matter where you're reading in the Old Testament, what are you reading about? God's plan unfolding to get us to the point that Jesus, who had been foreknown back even before the world was created, to get to the point that He Himself would be on this earth, would, would die for our sins. And, and so, no wonder then, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time came, had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. God was unfolding that plan until everything was put in exactly the right place. And that's when Jesus came. If you want to remember the the theme of the entire Bible, from page one to the last page, it is the salvation of man through Christ to the glory of God. That's, that's all the way from... We get man from the, from the beginning, but that man's going to need to be saved. And so he, he lays it all out for us. The salvation of man through Christ to the glory of God. All right, so he was uh, uh, killed by... The, uh, let's see, his definite plan is the foreknowledge of God. And he is killed by lawless men. Now that, that word presents a challenge. And there are at least two schools of thought in regard to the word. Literally means without law. Okay? And so I'm going to leave you wondering between now and next Wednesday night what the challenge is. And if you wonder enough, you can do some study on your own in between now and then to see if there are some different thoughts in regard to the lawless men and, and what, what is meant by Peter there. Okay? All right, our time is up, and we will go ahead and quit here. It's 10 after, so uh, uh, we'll pick up there.